to Curious Insights. I'm John Walker, and I'm out there reading the good books, listening to the podcasts, and accessing my triple secret sources of information and giving the best of it to you here on the podcast. I'm here to illuminate, educate, and agitate. Welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to talk about a man by the name of Alfred Nobel. Nobel, yes, the Nobel of the Nobel Prize. Interesting story, very interesting story. As a young man, Nobel was a sickly fellow. His father was in the arms business, making firearms of different types, trying to make mines, things of destruction. His business took him all over Finland, Sweden. Eventually, he found a good deal in Russia, and so he spent a good bit of his time there working. And, of course, Alfred was there with him. They made pretty good money. Father was a bit of an innovator. Don't know that he invented anything militarily that was of any great note. However, he did later on in life figure out plywood, as I understand it. They had the money and the wherewithal to bring in tutors for their children. So little Alfred learned from tutors. He became proficient in five languages, a prolific reader, and wrote poetry. He may have had in his lifetime one relationship with a woman that didn't work. He didn't say much about it, but there is some evidence that that happened. Spent his whole life single. Alfred Nobel never married. As he got older and got ready to get into the world of business, he jumped into his father's business. At the time, nitroglycerin had already been developed. A couple of guys had figured out how to make that stuff, but it wasn't very useful. Put the fluid out and hit it with a hammer and it would explode, and that was about all anybody could do with it. Needed something to stabilize it. And evidently, Alfred Nobel was the first to figure this out. Now, there are some who say it was a total freak luck deal. He had packaged the nitroglycerin in something surrounded with some kind of unique clay. And the nitroglycerin leaked out into the clay. And when you take the clay with the nitroglycerin leaked into it, you have kind of what is eventually dynamite. Or, as it was called at the time, Nobel's safety powder. Dynamite is what stuck. Nobel says it wasn't an accident, and he generally is a fairly honest fellow. It wasn't an accident. It was something he figured out on his own. Anyway, it obviously made him an extremely wealthy man. And he, over the years, made a lot of money, of course, with his dynamite, with other military things. His family made a good bit of money in the oil field. At one point, they became very wealthy. In fact, he became one of the wealthiest guys around. It's also interesting that he came up with this idea. I guess he got some kind of a peace idea in his head that, you know, how do you reconcile the fact that I make dynamite for a living, and that's what's used in wars, also in mining and in things like that, construction, But he wanted to make a bomb 
that became too devastating to use. The idea was that he was going to be involved in, in promoting peace, I guess, by having a bomb so powerful nobody could use it. Interesting, I read a book about Alfred Nobel that was written in 1942, and the author continuously ridiculed Nobel as this bomb too big to use. It was a ridiculous idea. And I thought, my friend, in just a couple of years, you're going to see a bomb that will change your view about how devastating a bomb can be. And does a bomb get too devastating to use? And in fact, I think we live in a world now where we have said that bomb is too devastating to use. But he had a lot of money. And before he died, he said, quote, I intend to leave after my death a large fund for the promotion of the peace idea. But I am skeptical as to its results. Originally, this money was set up kind of as a financing for dreamers. He envisioned it as money that would go to guys who were trying to do some kind of peace things, but they couldn't get them done because they had to worry about making a living. His thought was, okay, instead of those guys having to worry about making a living, I'll take care of the money. We'll get this awarded to them, and then they can do these dreamy things for peace. The reality is it never has been that. It's always been more or less a reward for the most accomplished. Most of the people who win the Nobel Prize are extremely accomplished in their field. There have been four U.S. presidents who got it. Theodore Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, Jimmy Carter, and Barack Obama. Interesting to me, you think about those guys as peace people. It's not. There is the indication that possibly the... Nobel Prize Committee was kind of wanting the Americans to like them or something to that effect, and that's why we've got those early presidents in there. Theodore Roosevelt as a peace guy is just hard to imagine. Uh, he did want peace, but, boy, he had no problem with war. Also, it's interesting in the Nobel Prize awarding, there's a man on the list in 1929, Frank B. Kellogg. In 1929, Frank B. Kellogg. And he's a United States senator. And he is famous for the Kellogg-Briand Treaty. You may not know what that is, but this is a treaty in 1929 that basically outlawed war. Yeah, outlawed war. We have all signed up to this treaty that we will not have war. And yes, Mr. Hitler signed that treaty. Of course, they may not have known that among his friends, when he talked about treaties, he said treaties are strips of paper. Not much respect for them. But that's a ridiculously ambitious idea, considering what happens in the next decade. Frank B. Kellogg gets a Nobel Prize for kind of pie-in-the-sky idea of never having wars again. But I suppose that's good. One of them that I like is a man named Carl von Ossietzky. Carl von Ossietzky. He's a German. He gets the award in 1935. Now, he is a German, but he is not a Nazi. And they don't like what he's saying. He's a writer who says things about uh, state tyranny and states dominating people and people need to have a little freedom and we need to have peace. Some of these kind of things. He is put in a concentration camp, and old Goebbels 
is trying to give him an opportunity to say, Germany's okay, let me out of prison. He's ready to make that deal. But Osietsky does not do that. He refuses. He says, I'm staying in prison camp. And he is awarded a Nobel Prize while he's in prison. That kind of draws a little attention to what the, what the Germans are doing. He stayed in prison and eventually died. And to me, this looks like one of the really good uses of the Nobel Prize. It, it's causing attention, drawing attention to things that it needs to draw attention to. So Nobel has in his will the idea of a prize that's given every year, every five years. I think it began out as a, it had to be awarded every five years. But it became kind of an annual deal. Of course, during the wars, it, didn't, it was not awarded. But how did we get from a guy who made a living making dynamite to a guy who finances the most prestigious peace prize in the world that still goes on today for well over 100 years? Well, it's an interesting little story. You go to the 1905 Nobel Peace Prize winner, and it's a lady, the first woman, Bertha von Suttner. And this is the explanation for how we go from dynamite to peace. She was a highly educated woman. Alfred Nobel was looking for a secretary, and I, he wasn't looking for a secretary that would take notes. He was looking for a secretary of extreme intelligence and an intellectual equal to him to help with some major things, I suppose. She had agreed to come and become his secretary, and he had even built part of uh, an addition to the house to have room for her. But she changed her mind, went back home, and got married, which is part of the reason that she was looking for work when he was when Nobel was looking in the first place. She had fooled around with her student. <laughs> she had fooled around with a young student, and the family said, that's enough. You've got to go work somewhere else. We don't want that anymore. She agreed to leave, but after she left, he called her back and they married. But Nobel and Bertha became good, good friends and stayed friends all their lives. She became a convert to the peace idea, and she kind of asked for an opportunity to talk to Alfred Nobel and convince him of the peace need. And she spent a week with him, and he said she didn't quite convince him, but it looks like she is the reason that we have the Nobel Prize today. She convinced him to take some of his money and put it in that kind of uh, work. Interesting, I, I'm suspicious of some of the awards that are given by the Nobel Prize. Of course, I'm suspicious of the Pulitzer's. I'm you know, all those awards, they seem like they become extremely political at times. But you got to admit Given a significant amount of money to someone who has done something significant for peace on the planet, that's a good idea. It's a good try. And I think it's a good thing that he did that. It's interesting that he goes from a life of building dynamite and developing dynamite to being known as the man of the Peace Prize. And it says a lot. It's a great witness to what friends can do. Bertha got an opportunity to try to convince him, and evidently she did. The value of relationship and the value of effectively articulating your beliefs. 
It's a good story. It's an interesting story. And I hope it helps you. Hey, read a good book and try something new. 